Hey y'all, I'm Sarah. I'm Chelsea. And I'm Deidre. And this is Scream and Sugar. Today, are we on? Yeah, we've been recording. <laughs> Today we have a guest star, and it's Mr. Harnan. He's a good boy. Can you bark for everybody? <laughs> He's not speaking. He's shy. I'm shy. Go lay down. We finally get to figure out what's going on with this baby. <laughs> yes, today is part two of the torso murder. Dun, dun, dun. Before I get started, I have to make two corrections okay. to part one because I flubbed. So, whenever I was talking about the kids that found the body, mm-hmm. I said that when Robert Weaver ran down the hill, Fred Reed ran after him. Right. That's not right. It was Fred, but it was his brother, Fred Weaver, wow. not Reed. The Reed boy oh. was David. Okay. So, my bad. Hush it, Chelsea. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> and whenever I was talking about Evelyn at the police station. Two for one. <laughs> and she said that if John was arrested, it'd be for stealing from the company or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Chelsea said, oh, I didn't know he did that. I took that as she didn't know that that's what he did for a living. Like, she didn't know that he worked for the company. Oh, yeah. But as far as him stealing from the company, I do think that he did, but not near to yes. the extent as Donald did. Right. He didn't spend $5 million stealing. I got five on it. I need some money. Anyway, so how's everyone doing today? Good. I'm already tired. Me too. But I stay tired, so. So we got our coffee. Girl, you better stay woke. I'm woke. I'm about to go to bed here in a minute. You're in about 60. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so when we ended part one, they had discovered the suitcase Mm -hmm. with the baby inside encased in cement. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, the shopping bag that the baby was in was 13 inches by 5 inches by 8 inches. So, it's very small. Yeah. And Dr. Deadman, which is the same doctor that did the autopsy, examined all the bones, all that stuff, said that the baby had been, this is really sad, he had been doubled up and forced into the bag. <gasps> How dare they? Yeah, it's really sad. What do you mean he was forced in the bag? Like they folded him up and made him fit into the uh, bag. The bag. I don't know why I said it like that. Because the baby was bigger than the shopping bag. Yeah, 13 inches is, well, a little over a foot. Yeah. You know, babies are like 21 inches. You always hear 20 yeah. inches long. My God. That's awful. Yeah. So. This is shitty. The baby was wearing a diaper held together by two rusty safety pins, a cotton shirt, an infant dress and a wool sweater, and they knew it had been there for quite some time because, like I said in part one, it was badly decomposed. Remember, the left foot and mm-hmm. ankle were both missing, and like I said, there was a knotted piece of string around the baby's neck. Now, don't yell at me before I tell you about the baby, and I will. First, we got to talk about what they found during their next search of Donald McLean's house. And this was on March 22nd, the day after Evelyn decided to completely change her story. Donald is Evelyn's father. Yes. It's been so damn long. (laughs) And I think I said that 
they conducted the search when they found the baby on the 21st, but it was actually the 22nd, which doesn't really matter, but whatever. Okay. So, during their next search at Donald's house, and I have it wrote, which is Evelyn's dad, <laughs> they find two shotguns, two rifles, a hunting knife, a butcher knife with a 15-inch blade, and a saw. And one investigator did examine the guns, and he said that none of them had ever been fired. Okay. While all these people have guns that have never been fired, I don't understand. Yeah. But whatever. They also found $4,800 in cash, which in today's money is almost $65,000. Oh and 26000 bus and streetcar tickets that he had Damn stolen. <laughs> in the cellar, they found a pair of muddy black Oxfords and that and that. That's not right. With what appeared to be blood on him, oh. it was later discovered that they were Johns. Oh. One pretty interesting thing that they found was an addition of famous detective stories. And I couldn't find exactly, like an exact description of what that was, but I'm assuming it's like a crime magazine type thing. Yeah, those were big back then. Oh, yeah. And one story in particular caught the investigator's eye because... Mm -hmm. It was a story about how the victim of a failed abortion was dismembered and the body parts were burned in a furnace. Oh. So, after finding all this, they charged Donald with theft. So, police are questioning Evelyn again after they found the ashes and those bone fragments. And, shocker, Evelyn changes her story oh, again. No. And this time she says, I'll tell you the whole story. Okay. Which, like, you should be doing that from the beginning, but, you know. She again tells them that she had an affair with Bill Behosick, and she says they had sex on October 9th. Initially, it was said that they, had, they didn't have sex until October 17th. So, she's admitting to having sex with this guy just five days after she got married to John. And I don't think I said it in part one, but they got married October 4th. Dang. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. I'm just kidding. Shema? No. <laughs> She also tells investigators uh, the same story about the gang and all that nonsense. And then this is when the story starts to change. She says that sometime in February, Behozik enticed John into his car to wait for the gang. And they talk for a while, but no one shows up. So if her story is true, this is like the worst gang in the history of gangs. Yeah. They don't have time to commit murder and right. take the money for hits or whatever. They don't show up when they're supposed to do a hit, but, you know. Yeah. She also adds that on March 6th, the day John disappeared, she saw John leaving the hotel with two men, and one of them was Romanelli. And she said that Behozik had told her that they planned on doping his drink mm -hmm. whenever he was at the hotel drinking. Supposedly, she gets home that day at 4 p.m., and Behozik calls and tells her, we've got him at last. And to meet him at the hotel. Mm -hmm. At the hotel, Behozik gives her John's watch because he thought she might like to have it. Remember, they did find that in the search. Right. So she's she like, oh, they found the watch. Let me add this in there. After Here's she wanted him to add. Because she's so, because she's grieving. Remember the watch. She's got something to remember him by. Exactly. But she could have just been remembering him alive. Right. But, you know. Okay, sure. Uh, then in this third statement to police, Evelyn says that Behozik tells her he has something to do after he gives her the watch at the hotel. So she 
reluctantly lets him borrow the Packard. Mm -hmm. And he takes her home and then he leaves. Sometime after this happens, Romanelli calls her and says that he's going to bring the car back. And when he does, there's tons of blood in the car and wrapped in a piece of cloth was part of his face that was all smashed. And it also had like other pieces that they couldn't get to burn. And she said he put those pieces in the garage. Evelyn said that she told her mother that John had been fixed, put out of business. And Alexandra allegedly said, well, they've tried long enough, apparently knowing that Behozik was after John this whole time. At this point, the investigators expected her to say what she usually did. You know, she had no choice but to burn what was left, yada, yada, yada. But she didn't get to finish her story because the investigators get the call about a deceased baby being found in her attic. Mm -hmm. When they asked Evelyn about the baby, she said, I heard about it, but my lawyer told me not to talk. Heard about it. Yeah. Well, one investigator leaves, and when she's alone with just one, she leans in toward him and says, I have something to say, but you can't tell my lawyer. (laughs) This lawyer is like, if this, she don't (laughs) shut up, shut up. So, she tells him that in September of 1944, she had Bill Behozik's baby. And after it was born, she met Behozik at a hotel, and he says, I'll get rid of the little bastard. (gasps) And then he strangled the baby by knotting a blanket around its neck. She said Behozik forced the baby's body into the shopping bag, and she knew nothing else about it. Until, in February of... That year, 1946, when Behozik came to borrow that $200 for the gang, Mm -hmm. he brought the cement block with him and gave it to her and said, here's the brat. Okay, if that's true, fuck him. Yeah. Just wait. Well, Evelyn said that the cement was starting to crumble, so that's when she wrapped her catfish skirt Mm -hmm. around it, and she mixed more cement to pour on it. And at this point, her lawyer arrives and tells her not to say anything else. So he's like, oh, my God, woman, shut up. Like, girl, this is the situation. <laughs> just, don't, just don't say nothing. Don't say a word. Just so now I'm going to tell you the real story of when the baby found in the suitcase was born. Okay. In May of 1944, this is about a year after she had the uh, stillborn baby girl and almost two years after she had Heather. Okay. She finds out she's pregnant. Her dad... Donald McLean, he wasn't too happy about her having another kid in the house. And he supposedly said, we don't need another little bastard running around the house. So he's a peach. So this is when Evelyn met with a guy about renting that love nest apartment. She tells the manager of the apartments that her husband is overseas in the war, which isn't true, but it's the 40s, so... Mm-hmm. A woman having a kid when she's not married, you know, is a big scandal. Right. And she also tells this guy that the doctor told her that the baby is dead and she has to have it removed. So it'll just be her and her daughter Heather in the apartment. So, of course, he feels bad for her and yeah. he gives her the apartment. And on September 4th, 1944, a healthy nine-pound baby boy was born. And she named him Peter David White. 
and she tells the nurses that her husband was lost at sea. And as for why she gave him the last name White, she also gave Heather, Heather, <laughs> <laughs> she also gave Heather the same last name. And all the while, she's telling all the doctors and nurses that her husband was either overseas or died at war. Oh, okay. So, a week after baby Peter was born, Alexandra goes to visit him and Evelyn at the hospital. And when she visited him, Alexandra brought some clothes for the baby and for Evelyn to take all her things home, a beige suitcase. Mm-hmm. So Evelyn was released from the hospital on September 14th. And the doctor said she seemed like a normal, loving mother. And he scheduled her for her first three checkups in October, right. the next month. Mm-hmm. So Evelyn gets home three hours after leaving the hospital and she arrives without baby Peter. She tells Alexandra that the Children's Aid Society had taken the baby to put him up for adoption. And Alexandra didn't really say anything. And she later said she thought Evelyn had given up the baby because of how Donald reacted. Yeah. Which makes sense, I guess. Evelyn did go to all three of her checkups. And the doctor said she was in good spirits. And she told him that the baby was doing well at home. And I'm sorry, but what doctor does not do a checkup on the freaking baby? Yeah, I thought it was for the baby. And then he was like, oh, she seemed fine. What about the baby? Have you seen the baby? No. He's good. He's at home. All three visits. Never saw babies. Okay, let's step back for a second. And we're going to dissect her story. Well, she claimed that the baby belonged to Behozik and was born in September 1944. Mm -hmm. Which he was born September 1944. But if you remember from part one, she didn't meet Behozik until June of 1944, which would mean that the baby had been born at just three months old. Right. A baby's not going to be born at three months old and be healthy healthy and nine pounds. Yeah. So the nine pound baby is not the baby that was found. Yes. And it was 13 inches long. No, the, the shopping bag was 13 inches long. Okay, that's what I was like. Now, how the fuck can a nine-pound healthy baby boy be 13 inches long? <laughs> yeah, no, that was what he was put in. Okay, continue. I'm not confused anymore. Okay. <laughs> I'm disgusted. Oh, yeah. Also, she said that Behozik strangled the baby with a blanket, but it was a string that was around the baby's neck. Remember? Mm-hmm. I was like, did it just deteriorate? Now it's just one thread? <laughs> okay, so now I just know it was just another I'm sorry, lie. That's not funny. It's not funny. It's just Dina's face. <laughs> this woman is lying left and right, and I'm getting confused in her web of lies. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Stop I lying. I caught in her web, and I can't get out. <laughs> you, you wrapped up, ready to be eaten in mm-hmm. the web, like can, you're done. I can hear the spider coming. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay, so, and the biggest thing is. She found out she was pregnant in May. She met Behozik in June. Yeah. So she's claiming that she found out she was pregnant by a man that she didn't meet until a month later. So. Her fucking dad's baby. She probably insists. Oh, oh my God. gosh. <laughs> there hell? were actually rumors about oh, that. Oh, yeah. See, probably true. That's probably true. It's the truest thing we've heard all damn day. But the real, I mean, the actual father of the baby, I mean, it's not known. Yeah. I mean. This white. This she a hoe, so who white knows? Man. Last name White. <laughs> like, what is going on? Well, this is when investigators are like, 
Okay. So every time there's new evidence, she tailors her story to fit it. Yeah. But of course, she's always innocent in every statement she makes. Mm -hmm. She's forced to go along, blah, blah, blah. But the inconsistencies clearly tell them that she played a major role in all this stuff. Because her first statement, she didn't know anything about anything. Then she was forced to be in the car when the torso was dumped. Mm -hmm. Now she wasn't in the car at all. Okay. Bitch, where were you? (laughs) I don't think she even knows at this point. She don't, because she lying too much. She done got I caught think, up in the wet. She in a web, I too. Harba Hosek and her dad are all full of shit, and they all fucking did something. Well, Bibba Hosek may not have done anything. No, I think they all three had something. They all acting dumb as hell. <laughs> all fishy and shit. <laughs> Can't get past me. So, on March 23rd, this is the next day, mm-hmm. Dr. Deadman examined Bill Landig's Packard, and he found traces of blood on the handle of the left rear door, the front seat, which is what Landon got his hand wet mm-hmm. with back blood. From her daughter's head wound. Mm-hmm. On one of the motors and on a necktie found in the car. And mm-hmm. the necktie was still tied, which really creeps me out for some reason. Well, how did not drop his head off? Yeah, that's what's so creepy. Just, it was still, uh, anyways. Yeah. <laughs> All the... <laughs> <laughs> All the blood that was tested was type O, which is the same as John Dix. Mm-hmm. So while this is going on, while they're searching his car and all that, Donald McLean, Evelyn's dad, appeared before Magistrate James McKay for his theft charge, and they set bond at $2,000. Half an hour later, his lawyer asked if $2,000 of what the police seized at his house could be, could be used for his bond. Now, y'all... And he made bail. Y'all ain't shit. <laughs> what about this money? All this money y'all found, the stolen so money. So he's he goes to court because he stole $5,000 from his company. Mm-hmm. Almost $5,000. And they set bail. So they allow him to use $2,000 <laughs> of the money that he stole to put up for bail to get out of jail. And if I don't come around, wait a damn minute. Like, that's my money. I don't get it. Excuse me? I do not understand. Just use the the money that we're putting you in jail, that you stole, that we put you in jail for to make bail. That makes sense. What the hell is going on here? Canada? (laughs) Y'all, y'all, mm-mm. Canada. Y'all ain't doing right on this one. (laughs) (laughs) On March 26th, Evelyn Dick was formally charged with the murder of her husband. Mm-hmm. Shortly after Evelyn's arrest, Bill Behozik was also charged in connection with the murder of John and baby Peter. And the pre- blah, 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 the preliminary hearing was set for April 24th. Ow! <laughs> Splinter, for sure. Why am I always getting <laughs> Yes. Bitch, you hit your finger, you cut your finger, you cut an air. I'm surprised I still have fingers. Okay, so... On April 12th, Detective Sergeant Clarence Preston gets a message that Evelyn Dick wants to see him. When he meets with her, she asks hmm, she asks <laughs> him when he's going to bring in the old man talking about her dad because he's in on it. And she said that he loaned Behozik his gun. So they're like, so Behozik is in on the murder of your husband? And she's like, yeah, absolutely. So she asks if it's going to make it worse for her if she tells them everything. Everything or another lie. <laughs> like, you're you're already making it worse on yourself by lying all the time. 
for one. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Preston tells her, the detective sergeant, he's like, I can't answer that, but I'll listen if you want to talk to me. So she starts off by saying that Donald hated John, which we all knew that. Yeah, of course. And when John found out about him stealing from the company, things only got worse. And now she says that Donald paid Behozik three to four hundred dollars to kill John. So now there is no gang. Behozik didn't pay a gang. Now her dad paid Behozik to kill John. And in today's money, that's like between four thousand and fifty four hundred dollars. I'm like, after all this money on stall, he only gonna give him still. That's still mm-hmm. not a lot of money to kill somebody. You done stole three million dollars, but your bougie wife done, I guess, spent it all. So that's all <laughs> you can give. So what I'm about to tell you is her final account of hmm. what happened on March 6th. It was probably still a damn lie, but hmm. go ahead. She says that she met John at the hotel around 2 p.m. And then they met Behozik, and they all go up to the mountain in the Packard. And Preston's like, so you were there? And she says, if I say yes, will it make it worse for me? Oh, my <laughs> Tell the truth. And he's like, I'm not answering that. I can't say. So he asks her how many shots were fired. And she's sitting there, you know, silently, like, counting on her fingers. And she says three. Then she asks, well, how many bullets does my father's gun hold? And, she, and he tells her six. And she's like, okay, it was five. There was one left in the chamber. And the last thing he asked her before leaving was what was in the Packard when she was trying to get it into her garage on March 6th. And she said it was John Dick's body and that she left it in the garage and her father and Behozik looked after the disposal of it. And she said they took John's body to her father's house in his cellar. And then she decides... She's going to give her statement mm-hmm. right before he's getting ready to leave. She said that after they left the hotel, she drove to a vacant farmhouse and they all started drinking. They leave there and as they're driving around, you know, they stop here for a bit, drink, drive more, stop, drink, whatever, yada, yada, yada. And they get stuck in the mud, which would make sense because the Packard was completely covered in mud. And blood. Mud, blood. Mud, blood, everything. <laughs> uh, she said John gets drunk. And he starts worrying about getting to work on time. So okay. there's some truth in all the bullshit stories she was telling. She said that she was driving, John was in the passenger seat, and Behozik was in the back. She said that John told her to make a certain turn, but in the rearview mirror, Behozik signaled for her to keep going straight. And not long after this is when Behozik shot John in the neck just below his hairline. I have a mm-hmm. question. Yes. Did John know that he was in the car? Behozik, yes. Yeah. yeah, they all go not drinking together. I'm like, yeah. this is weird as hell because y'all done talked about how she's yeah, it's super weird. I don't know how all of this. Yeah, that's, she never that's said. Weird. I don't know. Yeah, I would have been like, I'm not gonna him. They could have doped his drink, like she said. That part could have been true. Because I'm like, how are you just gonna be hanging out with the man who's sleeping with your wife? People do it all the time and don't know it, and that's some shit. <laughs> yeah, but he did know it. So what the hell's going on here? <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I'll never understand. And she said that after Bozik shot John in the neck, the bullet exited out his right eye. <gasps> and blood splashed all over. <sighs> Which to me seems like an extremely callous way to talk about the death of your husband. Yeah. If she is as innocent as she claims to be. Because mm-hmm. you know she's just sitting there being like, he shot him in the neck. 
and it actually went through his eye and then blood was just all over me yeah i'm just like i know her like i know how she said this <laughs> well you do know lying ass mm-hmm. so she said that she was covered in blood so she stops the car and behose it gets out goes around to the front passengers passenger side where john is sitting and he grabs the blanket from the front seat and wraps it around John's head. And I don't know why this part made me so, like, I don't know, it just hit me. She said that when he wrapped it around his head, John just groaned. Mm. And according to Evelyn, Behozik gets behind the wheel, grabs his gun again, and says, I had better finish him off before shooting him again, this time in the chest. Which is the one wound. wound wound that was in his chest she said that after the shooting Behozik drives and she gets in the back seat they took a back road behind her house and that's when they put John's body in the garage she said that Behozik eventually dismembered the body in the garage and burned the pieces at his house and at her dad's house And when they asked her if she burned anything at her house, she said just the odd pieces of skin and flesh that was left laying around the garage. Oh, okay. So that's what she was shoveling into the potholes. Yeah. Okay. I know. It's like, don't think about it too much because it'll make you sick to your stomach. So the investigators ask if she's ready to put her final statement into writing. And they're sure to tell her that she doesn't have to make any statement she doesn't want to. But anything that she does will be used as evidence, you know, basically giving her Miranda rights. Mm-hmm. She says, you know, I understand. So the investigators leave her to write out her statement. Well, a few minutes later, one investigator looked in on her and he noticed that she hadn't written anything yet. And she tells him that her law- her lawyer has told her not to say anything. So she's not going to make a statement. Lord, her lawyer... I feel I'm sorry, sorry but him. he should be like on high alert with this woman. Yeah, by now. I mean, he needs to just live with her. She's getting this close every time. Yeah, he just needs to stay at the jail because she's <laughs> screwing him every inch of the way. I feel bad for him. They better pay him good money because he's, I'm sure he's in the window like, stop, stop talking. She's like, yeah, we shot him. He's like, I just don't have to say anything. <laughs> like, girl, oh my lord, I'm saying it. It's too late now, bitch. You didn't tell the whole thing. What gets me is the fact that she keeps saying, like, if I tell you, will it be worse for me? It's like, girl, well, then, so you're lying again. Lying to our faces once again. So, oh, Lord. Well, the next day after Evelyn's almost whatever <laughs> final statement, mm-hmm. Donald and Alexandra McLean, her parents, who had reconciled again. <laughs> so they weren't together. Now they are. Right. They were picked up and charged with vagrancy. You oh, know, the catch all, yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. But they both denied having any knowledge of the murder. And four year old Heather was placed in temporary foster care. This poor little girl. Oh my gosh. What a family to freaking yeah. grow up in. Well, all four of them. Evelyn, Behozik, Donald, and Alexandra would appear in court on April 24th for the preliminary hearing. Okay. So, I'm going to talk a little bit about that hearing, which was overseen by Magistrate H.A. Burbage. Okay. During this hearing, Evelyn was questioned about how many men were in her life, and she answered quite a few. Mm -hmm. And they told her 
to name the men she'd had intercourse with. She admitted to entertaining three prominent men in the area, as well as the magistrate's son. The tea's getting spilled. And it was like quoted, blah, blah. Well, for one, the magistrate's son. And there's silence in the courtroom. Also, during the preliminary hearing, said that weird, whatever, Bohozik said, quote, I laid her. She was easy. But I certainly had nothing to do with murder. Who said that? Bohozik. I slept with her, but... Like, they're just... Just wait. It's going to get so messy, and I can't wait. I'm ready. When the court reporter later talked about Evelyn Dick after the trial and all that, he said, quote... She only fucked her friends and had no enemies. Messy. Was that the quote? That's the quote I was telling you about. Like, I can't wait because it's so, like, savage. Messy. She only fucked her friends. She had no enemies. (laughs) So they decided that the actual trial, it was set to be held on October 7th, and Evelyn Bohozik and Donald would be facing murder charges. Alexander's charges were dropped because they really just didn't have any evidence that she was involved. Mm-hmm. Nothing sufficient. And when she was well, when she was released, Heather was put back in her care. Yeah. So at this point, all this stuff that's gone on, the trial and everything, it's Evelyn's pretty much infamous. And pretty much the whole world had heard about the murder of John Dick. Mm-hmm. It was so widespread at this point that there was even a schoolyard song oh, about the whole thing. Sing it. I don't know how to sing it, but I'll tell you what it says. It says, you cut off his legs, you cut off his arms, you cut off his head. How could you miss his dick? How could you miss his dick? Sing it. Like the- <laughs> talk about his dick. Miss Miseris, like M-R-S oh, dick. Mrs. <laughs> Now, it was also well known for whatever reason that one appendage was left untouched, which is why some people interpret the last two lines of the song, How Could You Miss His Dick, as How Could You Miss His Dick. <laughs> so there's. Oh my goodness. Your, is that- Freaking time. And there's also a punk band called Forgotten Rebels, and they actually wrote and released a song about it. Oh, Oh, Lord. And you can find, like, the video to it on YouTube. Oh. No, the song that the rebel people. The the actual tune? Yeah, I mean, it's Oh, an actual my. song. Oh, my, Wait, so the Forgotten Rebels have that part in their song? Yes. Oh. I guess they took like part of the schoolyard song and they just made, a made a whole thing about it. So Chelsea can rest easy. This is like a Lizzie Warren <laughs> thing for the Canadians. Mm-hmm. So the trial was on October 7th, 1946. And Bohozik and Donald were tried together, and Evelyn was tried separately. Okay. And I'm not going to go into the details of the trial, because it's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. And plus, I don't want to have to make this three parts. <laughs> but all the details are in a book that I read about this case. It's called The Torso Murder, The Untold Story of Evelyn Dick, and it was written by Brian Valley. Okay. 
So Evelyn Dick was found guilty. And after the verdict was announced, this is what the judge had to say. Please be more messy stuff. <clears throat> he said, Evelyn Dick, the sentence of this court upon you is that you will be taken from here to the place whence you came and there be kept in close confinement until the 7th day of January in the year 1947. And upon that date, that you be taken to the place of execution and that you be there hanged by the neck until you are dead. And may the Lord have mercy on your soul. Oh, so she was sentenced to death by hand. Did you? Evelyn's lawyer did ask for an appeal on the grounds that Evelyn's statements to police should not have been admissible in court. He argued that her statements to police were not voluntary and should not have been permitted to be read by the jury. Well, he didn't know. He wasn't even there. She was trying to spill the tea left and right. <laughs> and he said, based on those grounds, Evelyn should be granted a new trial. No. On the morning of January 7th, 1947, Evelyn's execution day, it was announced that the appeal had been allowed. Are you serious? I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. She probably sucked my judge's dick, too. So, and I called it like some. a new trial was set for February 24th. Oh, y'all get on my nerves. <laughs> because, shit, she did it, okay? So, another reason why I didn't go into very many details about the first one is because there's only a freaking trial. I am going to go over it a little bit. So, at the second trial, the prosecution had a new witness that didn't appear in the first trial. Ooh. This witness was a 19-year-old farmhand named Frank Bowler who would often pull cars out of the mud in the area, kind of like a side okay. job. Well, he testified that on March 6th, he pulled a car out of the mud and said there was a man between 28 to 30 years old standing outside of the car and a woman in the driver's seat. He said that while talking to the woman through her window, he saw a revolver sticking out of her purse and... On the floor in the back seat, he saw part of a man's leg. He also said that as they were leaving, the man got into the driver's seat and before leaving, tossed a Hamilton Street Railway conductor's cap into the back seat. So the prosecution asks if he sees the woman from that night in the courtroom and he identifies Evelyn as said woman. Mm -hmm. Of course... His testimony was severely damning, but Evelyn's lawyer thought it was pretty weird that he's just now coming forward, for one, and the fact that the details matched perfectly with the investigator's evidence against Evelyn, and it just seemed suspicious to him. Yeah, okay. During cross-examination, Frank Bowler's credibility was questioned, and the chief of police from his hometown, Ontario, he was put on the stand and when he was asked if Bowler's reputation for truth was good or bad, he replied, I would say bad. Mm, and yeah. he said he would be very skeptical in believing him under oath. So basically, the defense is trying to discredit the prosecution. Yes, the witness. Alexander testified in the first and second trial, but her story changed. In the first trial, like mother, like daughter. <laughs> in the first trial, she told them that Evelyn had told her point blank that John was dead. 
But when she testified at the second trial, she said Evelyn told her, you know, to mind her own business, but she didn't say anything like he's dead. The second trial of Evelyn Dick ended exactly one year to the day since John was murdered. Evelyn was acquitted of all charges in the murder of her husband. Son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. What more do you need? That's rash Been a discredited, that damn witness. I mean, well, why would you want to say anything if you saw a leg in the back of the car? It looks sketchy. I mean, that was the whole thing. Like, he's not a credible witness. Like, you can't, you have to take everything he says with a grain of salt. Yeah, no, they discredited but, him, but I'm saying, like, they were like, why didn't he come forward? And it's like, well, I mean, if I saw somebody, I mean, if I did see somebody's leg, I'd be like, mm-mm, and I would have went right away. But, you know, people are always like, scared to say anything when they see something like that and i'm like i'm about to tell on your ass real quick yeah i mean like we always say you never know how you're gonna react in that situation i would hope that if i see like a leg just chilling in somebody's back seat (laughs) i'm gonna be like yeah but just like the (laughs) men with the bloody shirt and they're like oh we'll just kick it to the side ain't nobody acting right in canada right now or back then well they weren't 1946 yeah that's what i mean so now i'm gonna sum up the rest of the verdicts and sentences. Okay. Hopefully somebody's ass went to jail. Well, Evelyn was found guilty of the murder of baby Peter. Okay. And she was sentenced to 11 years. Behozik was found not guilty of the murder of John Dick, mainly because the only evidence they had against him was Evelyn's statements, which are pretty much not useful anymore because that's the whole reason why she got a second trial. Mm Mm-hmm. And as for the murder of Peter, it took the jury just 23 minutes to find him not guilty on that charge, which isn't surprising because it's really not possible. Yeah. Literally not possible. And as for Mr. Donald, he was found guilty of accessory after the fact of the murder of John and was sentenced to five years, which does not seem like enough. No, no. And he was sentenced to another five years for the theft charges yeah. for stealing from the Hamilton Street Railway Company. Although John Dick's death is equal to theft. It's murder. Well, he didn't get, he didn't go for murder. He went for accessory after the fact, like just being an accomplice. Nobody's charged with his murder. Nobody. And so he had a total of 10 years, but he only served four years and was released in 1951. I wonder too, the jury, you know, 1946, was all men. Yeah. So I wonder if that had something to do with it. You know, Miss Evelyn Dick is a charmer and this and that. Yeah. She probably done lifted her skirt up or some shit. Yeah. Well, catfish and she skirt. Blow through them all. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So while in prison, Evelyn met a lawyer named Alex Edmondson, and he pretty much became like a father figure to her. Oh, okay. Aww. I know. How I, was like, I was like, great. She's going to marry him. Okay. And when she was released on November 10th, 1958, he helped her obtain a new identity and start a whole new life. But she did have to check in with the parole board ever so often, notify them, of, you know, her address changed, phone number, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, in 1985, Evelyn was granted a pardon. How old was she then? She was born in 1920, so whenever she was granted her pardon in 1985, she was 65. Mm-hmm. Which, this meant that she no longer had to report to police or the parole board, and her file was permanently sealed. Mm. 
So nobody could track her down. Rolls eyes. So there were rumors were about where she ended up, but no one really knows for sure. And it goes over all those in the book that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. What year did she die? You don't know? No, because nobody, everybody nobody lost track of her now. What happened to her? Oh, I don't, know. I don't know where I was at on that conversation. Yeah, they sealed her shit. They sealed her records, or her, yeah, her file, and then there were rumors about what happened to her and where she ended up, but nothing could be verified. Nobody really knows for sure mm-hmm. what happened to her. Now. Well, her well, daughter, Heather, her, her daughter, Heather, she grew up with Alexandra, mm-hmm. her grandmother, and she started going by her middle name, Marie, which I don't blame her. I wouldn't want to be associated with Evelyn Dick anymore. Yeah. Uh, she married in 1959, and she had her daughter, Cindy, in 1960. Uh, Alex Edmondson, the guy who helped Evelyn with her new identity, he actually set up a meeting between Evelyn and Heather slash Marie. And during the meeting, Evelyn gave Heather slash Marie <laughs> a pearl necklace, but she wouldn't tell her anything about her new life. So even her daughter had no idea. Like, where she was living, leaving her in the how house. to find her, nothing. Okay, bye, bitch. And that's pretty much it on Miss Evelyn Dick. Like I said, read the book. It's got a lot more stuff. I do want to end with some details about John Dick's funeral. Because, I mean, even though, you know, we joke around, a lot of humor, he is a victim. Yeah. Nobody deserves what happened to him. So, the person who officiated the service was Mennonite Bishop... John J. Wichert and the newspaper uh, wrote an article about his funeral and it said encased in a simple gray casket almost hidden beneath sprays of wreaths of flowers the body of the torso murder victim was placed before the altar in the church from which he had helped carry the remains of his 92 year old grandmother just six days before his own death. Very touching was the final scene in the church as the grief-stricken 72-year-old mother of the murdered man, his two sisters, and other relatives gathered around the casket while the congregation sang a beautiful German hymn. And lastly, a couple quotes from Bishop Wichert. He said that the grieving relatives must, quote, lift their eyes unto the hills for comfort. And this is still I'm talking. He said, these words from the Psalms were written by John Dick in the last letter he sent to his mother after the death of his grandmother. Mm-hmm. And he said, in circumstances under which this beloved had to leave the world, a death shrouded in mystery, we can turn our hearts to the hills from whence comes our help and sometime we'll understand. We know there is a just judge. We know not why he planned these things in the way they have occurred. But in the words of the hymn, sometime we'll understand. This is our prayer. May the Lord grant him an everlasting entrance into heaven. I just thought that was a really sweet way to end it. It was. It's just sad. It is sad because he didn't do anything. Like, he may have stole a little money. Maybe. I mean, and and that's about it. Like, he wasn't hitting her. He wasn't hurting anybody. He was just... I mean, I don't think he was a peach i mean i know he like i know they had arguments where she would threaten him he would threaten her but i mean i may not even mention that there was so (laughs) much stuff and i was all over the place but i tried to give as many details that were pertinent like the most important stuff but got himself wrapped up with a family from hell 
obviously. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't. Yep. But that's the story of Miss Evelyn Dick. <laughs> all those, all For those real. freaking different stories, and she wasn't even found guilty of it. Yeah, just lying left and right. Oh, but you know what? It's cool. Acquitted. But your dad did something. But what about his murder? Who killed him then? Y'all don't know? Cool. The book I read, the author actually has his own theory about what happened. Oh. And I didn't include that because, you know, we're already far into it. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll do that as a bonus episode or something. Just mm-hmm. a short little yeah. thing yeah. about his theory. But yeah. Well, I hope y'all enjoyed it. We did. I'm glad it's over. Very much. I'm very <laughs> upset. I want to find Evelyn Dick and smack her in the face. Well, she's dead now. Maybe. Well, she'd be 101, well, I hope so. but mm-hmm. well, people she'd be 101? She would. It's possible. Well, I'll, I'll say she's Where are you at? At the end of the day, she old as hell or dead and innocent. Yeah, and innocent. <laughs> All right, well, as usual, you can see pictures from the case on Instagram at Scream and Sugar Podcast. You can email suggestions to us at Scream and Sugar Podcast at gmail.com. And you can listen to us on Spotify. Yeah. Anchor yeah. and Breaker and all of these other places. So Google Podcast. Yeah. I don't Google even Podcast. know what all we're on. A couple of them I don't even know what it is. Radio but. Public. I think that's all of them. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Right like a muscle girl song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, thanks for listening. We hope you keep listening. And remember to keep it sweet.